Mark chapter 12. This evening we're going to be taking verses 35 through 40. Mark chapter 12, 35 through 40. I invite you to stand, if you would please, as we read God's word this evening. Please stand. Mark 12, the breathed out word of God to us. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. As far the reading of God's word, you may be seated. And let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words that you have given us. We know that they are your words, not our words. They are the words that you have given to men long ago. They are wise words, and we pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob this evening as he helps us to better understand them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three things from this passage. First of all, the questions. It's the title of our message tonight, the questions Jesus asked. And so there are indeed included in this passage two questions that Jesus places before the scribes. Secondly, the teaching that is included here. Jesus is not asking questions for questions' sake. He is asking the questions to teach us something through the questions that he is asking. And then thirdly, the necessity of the greatest question that Jesus asked. The necessity. First of all, then, the questions. I want you to note that this is in the temple. That's where we are, verse 35. That's where we are physically when these questions are being asked, as Jesus taught in the temple. The significance of this, as we were this morning, it is still that Passion Week. This is earlier in the week, perhaps Tuesday of that week. We, we don't know because none of the events are labeled in that way for us but it's early in the passion week that much we can pretty much understand from the context what's important is that this is the last time that jesus will be in the temple teaching this section takes us from verse 35 through the end of verse 44 and then if you look at chapter 13 1 and as he came out of the temple, he never goes back again. So these are some of the last teaching moments of Jesus while he is in the temple proper. And there, in the temple then, as we follow the passage through, Jesus asked two questions. And note, first of all, the question has something to do with scribes. 
Now, that has something to do with where we were last Lord's Day, verse 28, and one of the scribes came up. It has something to do with the warning that follows in verses 38 through 40. Beware of the scribes. So in between the question that he was asked by one of the scribes and the warning that he gives about the scribes, Jesus has a question about the scribes. One of the things that, that we need to go back and, and be reminded of about these men is what Jesus warns of. These are men who are very pompous. These are men who are very arrogant. These men, these scribes, dress in long, white robes. Now what makes that stand out is that the people of Jesus' day typically wore quite bright clothing. So if normally people are in, you know, some shade of blue or maybe some shade of red and some shade of green, Somebody dressed all in white stands out. And that was the purpose. They wanted to stand out. The whole warning of Jesus in those verses is that they wanted to stand out. They wanted first place. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be noticed because they thought they had it all together. They had all the answers. They were the biblical scholars. They were the experts of the law. The rule was if a scribe passed you and you were sitting, you needed to stand to acknowledge him. All except tradesmen. Okay, so for those of you who are carpenters or brick masons, Vanderjack family, you didn't have to. You could keep on working. But everyone else, if one of these men in their long flowing white robe crossed your path or came past you, you were expected to stand and acknowledge their superiority. It was not uncommon for scribes to stop and to periodically, I think the word would be interrogate people. Interrogate them about the law. Are they fulfilling the law? Uh, do they know the law? Uh, are they aware of a law? They might walk past the marketplace, for example, see something that was a little bit off kilter, stop and talk to the owner of that market and question them about the law. This was not uncommon. And because they were the experts, they, they, they did it in such a way to make you feel about yay high. Notice what happens here. Verse 34 says, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You remember where we've been for the last several weeks? There's this peppering of questions that are coming. Questions from the Pharisees, questions from the Herodians, questions from the Sadducees. Now a question from a scribe. After Jesus' answer, no more questions. Except from Jesus. It's like there is a retreat from his enemies. His enemies back away. His enemies say, we're not going down this route anymore. These questions are not going the direction. We're trying to trap them. We're trying to trick them. Nothing's working. We're, we're, we're going to go away from this tactic. 
Jesus, however, comes on the offensive. Oh, no, you're not getting away from me that easy. Let me ask you some questions now. Let me put it before you. And so on the offensive, Jesus goes. Here's the question. How can the scribes, these experts in the law, those who supposedly know the word, these religious authorities, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? But he doesn't just leave the question there, does he? How can the scribes say that the Christ is to be the son of David? Now, on first glance, one would say, are they wrong to say that? And the answer is no. Now, the scribes are right in determining that the Christ was indeed going to be a descendant of David. It is God's promise to David in that which we refer to as the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Isaiah is repeating it in Isaiah 9, 7, where he talks about the righteous branch coming from David. Jeremiah prophesies that it's out of David and David's kingdom, Jeremiah chapter 23. So they're right that that is the correct answer. The scribes are not wrong. Don't take Jesus' question here as saying, well, the scribes are wrong to believe that. No, the scribes were right to believe it. That is true. Jesus, excuse me, the Christ was to be the descendant, the son of David. But Jesus is, do, is, is now taking it and he's saying, listen, this is what the scribes believed. But what about this verse? What about these words? I hear Reverend Voss made some references to Psalm 110. I, I don't know how many times I'm going to refer to it tonight, but it seems to be kind of an important text. Yes, five times it's quoted. This passage is quoted in the New Testament. Eight times it's alluded to in the New Testament. This does become a pretty important text upon which the apostles and the church builds its theology of Christ. Why? Because it comes from Christ himself. Jesus is saying that this psalm, the 110th psalm, the first verse, is speaking of him. So how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David if, and now we have the quote, here's David's own words. Here's David's own mouth. Acknowledging that this was by the Holy Spirit. This isn't David's mind. This is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding David to pen these words. The Lord, the Lord, God, said to my Lord, the Christ, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. David, Jesus says, 
calls him Lord. So here comes the second question. So how is he his son? You notice there is nothing but silence. You notice there is no retort. You notice the scribes say nothing. You notice they don't even offer up some sort of feeble answer. There is nothing. The scribes say that the Christ is to be the son of David, but David himself is saying that his son is his Lord. How can that be? We are given one response, though, aren't we? The crowds heard him gladly. Why? <laughs> they got theirs. They, you know, they, they've been put through the ringer so many times. They've had a scribe stop by and question them so many times, and they're like, I don't know, I'm not sure. And they probably got some sort of scolding, some sort of reminder of the law, probably those robes gathered around just a little bit tighter and a little bit more pompous, nose a little bit more in the air. <laughs> and now they don't have an answer. The crowds heard him gladly. They're like, yeah, yeah. These guys who think they know it all don't know everything, do they? They don't have an answer to this, do they? Their position doesn't allow them to to be able to fully comprehend and understand everything that Jesus is saying. Jesus has showed not only his wisdom, he has showed his superiority. And he has put these scribes, these men who love the attention, the men who, as those following verses say, are even stealing widows' houses. He's put them in their place. The crowds heard him gladly. It's not because they thought this was, the, in the sense, they got the teaching. They don't get this teaching any more than the scribes do. But that's what puts them on an even plane. That's what makes the smile cross their face. Yeah, I have to stand up for you all the time, but you don't know the answer to this question any more than I do. Two questions. But he must be asking those questions for a reason. He, he, he can't be just pulling them out of the air. Jesus is trying to teach something to these people, particularly at this time during the Passion Week. So what are the two things that Jesus is teaching? One, in the first question, he is teaching that the Christ is human. He is to be the son of David. And if you look up all those passages that, that I gave you before, plus many, many, many more, they all talk about a biological descendant. They all talk about somebody who is going to be born. The Christ is going to be human. 
But you see, the scribes, as well as the rest of the Jewish leaders, as well as most of the Jewish population, if not all, are limited to that. They only saw the Christ as David's biological son. It is true, he is. Underscored. And underscored and underscored again. But he is more than that. But they limited to him to that. See, that's why the second question the scribes can't get to. They, they can't come back to the second question because they're limited by their answer to the first question. The answer they can give to the first question is only this. The Christ shall be the biological son of David. But often, even for us, it's not a limitation. It's an overlooking. How often do we truly reflect upon the humanity of Christ? My guess is that most of us tend to err, not on the humanity side, but we tend to lean toward the divinity side. Oh, yeah, but he was divine. Oh, yeah, but he was divine. No, he's also human. He was like us, says the author of Hebrews, in every way except sin. In every way. Next time you're about some common ordinary task, sometime you're about some common ordinary function of simply living life, just remember, that's what the Christ did. He didn't always have a clean diaper as a baby. See, we got to take the humanity seriously. Almighty God, the one who knows the stars by name, who calls them each into existence, who sets the stars in their place, billions and billions and billions of them, Became one of us. Took on flesh and blood. Did the common things of life like we do. Almighty God. See, we overlook that. We, we have so much a tendency to, to go with, with the theological, with the, with the divine part that we forget the humanity. He really was like us in all of our struggles, in all of our heartaches, even in our frustrations. Did Christ know what it's like to be frustrated? Read the gospel. But all without sin. I heard somebody a number of weeks ago uh, somehow the discussion of Jesus sleeping in the front of the boat when the storm came up, somehow that discussion was going on. And somebody said, well, you know, he I, it wasn't somebody from Little Farm, so don't, don't you know, bring charges. Okay? They said, they made the statement, they said, well, 
He was only pretending to sleep because he was divine, you know. He didn't really need to sleep. And I'm thinking, you talk about missing the boat. Of course he needed to sleep. Of course he was tired. He died. He was human. He had that human nature. Except no sinful human nature. But the other thing he's teaching by the second question is that the Christ is divine. See, that's what the scribes, that's what the Jewish people, that's what all those leaders are lacking. All that's taken place in in these events so far that we've had in these last several chapters of Mark's gospel is all about the fact that they're lacking the understanding that the Christ is also divine. They only see him as human. They think they can trip him up. They think they can make him fail. Jesus is just a human being. That's all he is. They're lacking to see the whole truth. Not only about Christ's divinity, but the purpose of that divinity. Why did Christ need to be divine? Why was that a necessity? Why was it a necessity that David had to say, the Lord has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand? Why is that needed? Because if we have only a human Christ, we have no Savior. Oh, maybe the scribes don't want to admit this because then it would be to admit that they were sinners. Maybe this is one of the reasons humanity yet today has a hard time admitting the divinity of Christ because then we'd have to admit that we are sinners and we need a Savior. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. Next Sunday evening, our Beyond group, we're going to start a study of Romans. and So I've been reading through, and here's these first six verses. Just listen to how this comes out. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Yes, He is the Son Descended from David. But he is also the son of God. That's what David meant in Psalm 110. That's what his words, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, mean. When Jesus asked the question, how could he be David's son? The answer is only one. He has to be divine. The physical son of David has to be the divine son of God. That's the only way this will work. 
That's the only answer that can be given. They're lacking in understanding that purpose. And for us, we need to see that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. For without the sinless sacrifice of Christ, there is no salvation. None. If all we have is a human Christ, a human Jesus, there is no salvation unless he is also the divine Son of God, unless the Christ of a human nature is the Christ of a divine nature, sinless, perfect. That sacrifice on the cross is empty. It is meaningless. But because he is both, our salvation has been secured forever. Sit at my right hand. The work of your salvation and my salvation has been accomplished. And the descendant of David, the Christ, in the Son of God, the divine Christ, one, one, Jesus Christ, our Lord, as Paul reads. But there is one more question, one more question that Jesus asked. It is a necessary question. It is a question that all of us here tonight have to face. It is indeed the most important question. Now there's two people sitting here who think that, who might be thinking the most important question that I'm going to ask is, do you take? Right, right? Do you take? Do you take? It's not the most important question. And they would tell you that. That's a secondary question. The most important question is a question that Jesus Christ himself asked you. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Notice the context is the very same context as Mark. Paying taxes to Caesar, Sadducees ask about the resurrection, the great commandment, whose son is the Christ. Here it is. The most important question that Jesus ever asked. Verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? Now, 
See, eternity hangs in the balance of that question. What do you think of the Christ? Who is he? Who is Jesus Christ? See, it's not Leonard, do you take Velma, and Velma, do you take Leonard? Nope. What do you think of the Christ? Who is he? Whose son is he? Because you see, unless we recognize that he is the son of God, the son of David, he is human and divine. There is no salvation. You can't be saved unless you know who Christ is. You can say, well, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But who is he? Who is this Jesus Christ that died upon a cross? Who is he? Well, he's just some guy. He lived a number of years ago. He was some descendant of David, but no, your salvation is lost then, my friend. You have no salvation. At the same point in time, if you just say, well, he's some, some divine being that dropped out of the sky and he, he, for a period of time, lived upon earth, but he wasn't like us at all. Oh, no. You have no salvation the most important question that Christ asked all of us tonight is who am I and if your answer is the Bible's answer if your answer is Jesus answer that he is the son of David the son of God that he is human and divine. And he is my Savior and my Lord. Then you have to ask a secondary question. What are the implications of that for how I live? What does it mean for my life from day to day? Paul in Romans chapter 12 is going to answer that question for us. Do not be conformed any longer by the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed. The glorious gospel, the good news that the son of David is the son of God. He is Lord of all. He is the Lord of every decision you face. He is the Lord of every act you are to do. He is the Lord of every word you are to speak. He is to be the Lord of every thought you think. He is to be the Lord of your will. He is to be the Lord of your mind. He is to be the Lord of your life. He is Lord. 
someday, even as this text says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But they're going to have a sword at the back of their neck. The judgment of that Christ will fall upon them. But for those who have loved and confessed him, he here below, he will say, come near, ye blessed. See the kingdom I give to you. And God's people say, amen. Father, we do thank you for your word, this living, breathing word. May its truth, Father, cut to our heart, cut to our soul, cut through our sin, cut through our will, and make us holy yours. In Christ, God's people say, Amen.